Well, hello, welcome to the next edition of the uh, Life Before Trinity podcast, the podcast that seeks to get under the surface and under the skin of uh, students, uh, staff and spouses. And today we have a distance learner, uh, esteemed author, Liz Greer, um, who is uh, the, also the wife of my old boss. Um, so it's very, very special uh, to have Liz this morning. Um, so Liz, good morning. It's great to mm-hmm. have you. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, who you are, what you've done before Trinity. Um, you're obviously co-leading a church uh, at the moment, but but what you've done before that as well. Give us the big picture um, of who you are. Hi, so, well, my original roots are in science. I did a degree in physics um, at Oxford University and then did Liz another... Liz is really smart. <laughs> and then did another degree in physics because one degree is never enough. And I worked in uh, science education until I had my children, actually. And then uh, I took a break and have since then started uh, my own business as a harp teacher and professional harpist, uh, whilst also working voluntarily in the church alongside James. And we are now in Exeter um, at Unlimited Church. And your son suggested that your first harp album was called Harping On or something like that. (laughs) I can't remember, but I think it's called Harp Strings now. (laughs) I can't remember. (laughs) Just for, for throwing in an extra question, how does your science background fit in with your faith because classically that's the thing that the rest of the world sees as two opposing things yeah how does that sit how was that journey in in academia for you so um I grew up in a scientific family that, and I absolutely picked up the idea that science had disproved God. Uh, But at the same time, I was also quite musical. So I was singing in loads of churches and going to all these services and just seeing something that I didn't understand. And it was at university that I got the chance to, to see if these two things did go together. I decided I'd been sitting on the fence for too long and being a scientific person, there was a right or a wrong or a black and a white and I needed to decide. And it wasn't that easy for me, actually, because there's faith involved. And that's what I found on the day that I decided I was going to become a Christian. There was that leap of faith to go, look, there's so much I don't understand. There's so much I don't get, but I'm going to believe in you. And I think it was the it was the scientific historical evidence around the fact that Jesus really did live and really did rise again. I was like, well, then I I can't ignore that. Something's going on there and I don't understand it. And I still have all these questions about science and faith, but that bit I know and that bit I believe in and that's where I'm going to trust. So that was my starting point of trying to reconcile science and faith. And from then it's, it's been a journey and, and I just, I, I just enjoy now trying to sort of match it together. My experience as a physics student was so many of my professors were Christians. They were all going to church that faith and science seemed to me to go absolutely hand in hand. So as soon as I'd made that leap, <clears throat> it didn't seem that strange anymore. It was only as I was sitting on the other side, I assumed that, that it, it was incompatible. Okay. And tell us, tell us a little bit about Unlimited. That doesn't sound like a very normal church. Um, doesn't have Saint in front of it. Um, no, we're not Saint Unlimited. <laughs> Although most people call us Church Unlimited, which really, you know, if you want to wind me up, call it Church Unlimited. So <laughs> Unlimited is a bishop's mission order, which means we have a mandate from the Bishop of Exeter uh, to, to serve his mission, which is to the young people of Exeter. Um, 
and we came down as a family in 2007 so that was with my husband James and my two sons at that point they were two and four um, and we had uh, no building no team and no money well I say no money the diocese had given James half a stipend and this amazingly exciting vision to start a youth church but no sort of money to fund it and um yeah so basically there were two of us because I didn't really count Josh and Toby in the equations and so the start of Unlimited was really slow um one of the amazing things I can now say with hindsight is not having a building forced us to go out to meet young people. We couldn't rely on an attractional model. They weren't going to come to us because we had nowhere to invite them. So in Exeter, if you've ever been, the cathedral is fairly central. There's a green around it and loads of young people spend their free time uh, from college. There are 12,000 students in the um, Sixth Form College every day and they will come and hang out on the cathedral green. So we got this amazing opportunity to come and talk to them about what they thought about God, what they thought about church, what they thought church should look like, and, and talk to them about the fact that we were starting a church for young people and, and had this opportunity to shape it around them. In the background, as we were having these conversations, God was doing amazing stuff. And by the time we'd kind of built a relationship enough to, to need to move these guys onto the next step, we had a building to invite them back to. So we invited them back to um, cafe. And from there, loads of them went on a journey with us. And when some of them came to faith and made a commitment, that's when we started having what you might think of as a church service, but maybe there were loads of things before that that were also church. But we started a service on a Sunday and we planned it around them, not us. And it was always the feeling that if the if I was feeling comfortable or if the older members of church were feeling comfortable, then we got it wrong, that it should be feeling comfortable to the young people and we should be feeling a little bit um, out, of, out of sorts in our church. So yeah, that's kind of how we started. Cool. And it, sorry, you say it started in 2007. So yeah. it's been quite a long journey, 13 years still going at it. What do you, do you look back at those early, you know, those early days and just think, gosh, that was just a bit nuts. Like, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I'm a really traditional kind of, we, we were very happily in um, a large evangelical charismatic church you know a thousand people city center and we were very comfortable doing that and to get um to 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 go for this job which was james's uh, vicar in five rural parishes living in a beautiful little village in rural devon and starting a youth church with no building in the city center was just absolutely crazy and it was it would never have been something that we would have planned. It had to be good because we would never have put that on our wish list of things to do, shall we say? Mm. Um, Liz, Liz probably won't say it herself, but I did hint at the beginning that Liz is an author. She has written a book um, about the journey of Unlimited called Beginning Unlimited, which came out two years ago. I think so. Yeah. I remember seeing it at Soul Survivor on the uh, like top row of St Andrew's Bookshop or whatever it was. Yep. Quite a few rows above a book by Bob Wallington called um, <laughs> 16 Ways to Upgrade Your Faith, something like that. I think that was in the bargain bin next to it or something. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that is the story from a, from a diary perspective, isn't it? It's you right Yeah. Was it- yeah, and I think at the time I... Um, 
when I sort of decided to write it, there are loads of good books out there on church planting and loads of amazing resources and you can go to brilliant talks. But what I was feeling was that I was hearing all everyone's really amazing God stories of how great it was and, and how, you know, church planting is so exciting. And that just hadn't really been my experience. Um, I, I just kind of learned that in the Bible, there are two sorts of time. There's chronos, which is the tick, tick tick of time passing and there's kairos time those moments when god is really with you and doing something and i naively when we started church planting i thought that everything was going to be kind of a kairos moment it would be like mark's gospel with now and immediately and and just just this a uh, fantastic journey of excitement um and that really wasn't how it was it was a lot more about perseverance and faith and waiting and trusting um, and so the book that I wrote was trying to be much more honest about all of that so that anyone church planting I hope could relate to it could could find encouragement of you know that it's not all um, these amazing God moments there's a lot of sort of perseverance behind all of that and that's that's part of the journey and part of what shapes your church and shapes you and sorry just a follow-up question to that and so this is a bit of a side but um do you think when we talk about church planting like now you're training you're obviously more exposed i suppose to the kind of conversations that go on about church planting do you think the way the church nationally talks about church planting is a bit more like sugar-coated than the reality then like in terms of it seems all glistening and wonderful and exciting from the outside but but actually people don't see the graft that goes into to doing one i i think so i think it, you know a church plant to me it still sounds like a really brilliant idea absolutely when there are areas of exeter that i'd love to you know see a church plant moving into and thriving but the reality of finding a team and building a team and, and starting in a place with no from nothing is is really hard and i don't know and and maybe starting in a place with no team and no money is also really hard. And that's the reality for lots of church plants. And I'm not sure I hear enough people talking about that and how it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, these, these questions are a little bit too easy. Let's dig into some more tough ones. Um, you've obviously had 13 years of working with young people. Mm. How do you think the needs of young people have changed in that time? And what aspects of Christian faith do they respond to now versus 13 years ago? So the things I think that really changed are, um, there are three things. So mental health and anxiety is higher now than ever before. I mean, there were, there were issues 13 years ago, but now we're working with a generation who have never not had smartphones, who they're a social media generation, the, the constant pressure from friends and life is there with them 24 7 and i think as a, a sort of we haven't quite realized as a society how difficult that is for them to deal with um you know when i was young i would go to school and maybe that was relatively hard but i'd come home i could shut my bedroom door and i could forget all about it the popular guys might have come home and made a phone call but you know not always but there was that separation between having to be out there and on show with your mates and being able to hide and these guys don't have that and there's i think that brings along a whole load of um 
anxiety and issues that we're only just beginning to see. I think we're also seeing a lot more in our young people sofa surfing, so their families are broken and they would rather be staying anywhere other than with their families. Um, they're choosing to sleep on sofas of friends and I think often it's also it will be the sofa or not of a girlfriend and boyfriend and then this sort of broken family leads to sexual confusion within friendships and that's just quite a tricky thing to un unpack and um and i was also thinking you know, transgender issues are much bigger than they were 10 years ago there was one dad at the school gate who was transitioning and none the school didn't know how to deal with it and the parents didn't know what to say that was generally our experience in rural Devon um, and now most schools in Exeter have someone sort of from year seven or above transitioning and and that's that's the way this is going so I think there have been massive changes in the last 13 years. I think what hasn't changed though is that young people are incredibly open to faith and spirituality they are just really keen to talk about it. Church isn't on their radar it's not that they're choosing not to go, it's just something they're not even realising is an option. But faith and God and Jesus and spirituality are all things they're really happy to talk about and that hasn't changed. Um, I think we are way too scared of talking to them about it because we assume we'll get a bad reaction. But in the sort of the 13 years of going to talk to people, um, I think I've had... I'm not even sure it's this many, about five people be rude to me. In the, in the main, they are just really happy to talk to me. Or say they're not happy to talk to me, but being rude and made to, to feel bad is very rare. Hmm. And so with that in mind then, what, what do you think, um, what part of the gospel do you think young people respond best to at the moment? Or do they find like most attractive, um, I suppose? Because like you say, I guess we kind of assume, don't we, that our sort of message is not going to be received well or we're not going to be received well, but often that's not the case. Um, yeah, what, what aspect do you think they respond best to? I think it's, uh, it's really, I mean, it's hard to say it, but I think it's the repentance. It's the fact that you can see a complete change. So, you know, rather than just, living a, a lifestyle that makes you feel kind of bad and guilty and unsatisfied knowing that you can change your life around and aim for something better and that god will help you do that i think that is life-changing so you don't have to live with all this baggage and this mess and these labels that you've lived under that god gives you a new way of being and and it and living and then finding life in its fullness and I think that is absolutely radical um, I think a lot of sort of secular wisdom or sort of counseling is how to deal with living with your issues whereas with Jesus you can actually be free from them and that doesn't mean to say it's not a long walking out and you're not doing it alongside your secular counselors and all kind of those things but actually we're offered so much more than just being able to live with our baggage. We're offered freedom. During your time at Unlimited then, because um, you've been leading the church together with James, where have you seen God most powerfully at work in you specifically and through you specifically, not the, the ministry as such, but yeah, your personal experience of God working through you. It's really 
Interesting. So I think when you use the powerful word powerful, you think it's got to be something radical and amazing. And um, actually, I think looking back on it, the most powerful thing that I've done is have a vision for church to be as family and try to do everything to make church be family. So we eat together in normal times every every Tuesday night. The whole church is invited to a meal. Um, most of what we do runs around some kind of home-baked cake or food. It's such an easy way to draw people in and to sort of create a community. And just that calling in the early days when I was saying, you know, God, what do you want me to be doing in this church? And I kept on hearing from, from him and from other people saying, you just need to be a mother. And I was so frustrated because I was like, yeah, but that's what I do the rest of my life. I want something exciting and, you know, some, something different here. And and I didn't get a different answer. But now I can see that that was exactly what he wanted me to be, is to set this church up as a place of belonging, where people are known and loved and cared for and and told off. And, you know, just just as a family should be. Um, and, I, and I think that's probably been the most powerful thing. And from there, building that relationship, that, that place where people know that they're loved, that they're safe. Then I've had amazing times. I love praying with people and I love praying that, their lives will be changed you know, to see, see real sort of power encounters but that has all come from having that initial um sort of family basis from which to do it cool um and we kind of touched on this a little bit already but um i suppose the other thing i'd be keen to unpack with you is the reality of um doing a church plant like unlimited um and when you reflect back um, over the time you've had there so far, what what has been the hardest thing for you personally? I think loneliness absolutely has been the hardest thing. I'm I'm not the only one in church who would say this, but there's no one in church like me. There is no one else my age, my stage, with teenage children, and that can make you feel incredibly lonely. Um, it it's it's made me look more to family so what what do i want in a in a church it's not just people who look like me who are at the same stage as me which is probably what i'd had in previous churches is how do i find that depth of relationship and and love from people who are doing completely different things in life but could be sort of my friends and come alongside me but i think really important is is for me to have contemporaries outside church so friends that there are nothing to do with church that I can go and see um, who will speak some wisdom into me. To, I've, I started a business and ran my own business. That was quite a big distraction and good that it wasn't there for, you know, there were other things outside church that when it was tough and when it was lonely and when you're leading with your husband, so that's all you're talking about in the evening as well, to have other things outside of that has been really, really important. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, certainly at Trinity, it seems like there are a lot of, Ordinands talking about wanting to do church plants and curacies, um, which is great. What what advice maybe would you have for them um, that might either come out of what you've just said or, or other advice of your your learning from the <laughs> from the time you've been at Unlimited? I think um, just church planting uh, is amazing and exciting, but I think the big thing you need is perseverance. So go into it with a real heart for the long haul you know the thing that struck me most about sort of church planting is it's so precarious for so long you know when we 
finally got to the point of having a leadership team which was our equivalent of a PCC there were seven members of us on it but there were also seven members of church you know and you'd run an event and if if the one person you were hoping didn't come you'd, you'd all be sitting there going well why were we doing this event and a couple when we had a couple who said that they had to move um quite rightly because of their jobs but that's absolutely devastating you know when a quarter of your church is leaving so it just feels precarious for a very long time so i think just have that perseverance knowing that you're in this for the long haul um and i think also have a real structure to what you want i am a great one for asking so what so you know it's all great at the minute um one of the things we're doing because uh, we can't use our building is we're handing out uh, hot chocolates and cakes on the cathedral green to young people which is lovely but my big question is so what you know just being able to hand out a piece of cake anyone can do that what's the next thing that i want to invite them to what's the next step in this journey where do i you know it's not going to be a piece of cake alpha course um become a christian for us for us it's going to be you know there, there's going to be a whole load of steps but having in mind how you want someone to move through those steps that's so what every time makes such a difference to to how you approach you know, your church plant and don't get hung up on numbers if if nobody else is so amazingly the diocese have always been really generous to us they've never been demanding our numbers and kind of success how are you doing then and, and we haven't had to either. So we've just been able to be faithful to God, doing what we thought he was asking, not having to, to prove that we're doing well or, you know, to, to convince anyone else that we're doing the right thing. Unlimited as well, I think it's such a good example of like a, a church plant that has a really good relationship with the diocese as well, like, because I certainly would agree. Like it just seems like ex-diocese have always been very fair very like very for unlimited even when you know great uh, growth wasn't you know what we thought it might be or or what we'd hoped for at times um yeah there been, was a, there is a bit of a history to that though in that when we came to the diocese um the way that the, the press that had gone before us was that we were coming to be a youth church we were going to steal all the young people from all the churches across Devon and so we were universally not liked and so you know I think the most of the first year James spent building relationships across the churches in Exeter and with the diocese and trying to show our heart is for the church you know, this is our calling this is our mission but it but we want to support you we love you it's not about building our own bit so and I think just that knowing that you're part of something bigger and really supporting and cheering for that has been really important to us. Mm. Mm. That's really good. In terms of your own walk with Jesus, what do you think has kept you going when co-leading a church has been really tough in those really gritty moments? Absolutely. Having a rhythm of prayer has been um, my mainstay through all of this. I was thinking, um, there's a song by Tim Hughes, but just when fear surrounds is the line that came to me. And I think some days, sometimes it just felt that just totally surrounded by fear. And just to be able to sit with God and know that in those moments that he was with me, um, and I just almost standing up out of that prayer place and the fear was back, but knowing that I had that place to retreat to, to be with God, to, to 
to be sort of recharged to be replenished has been really important and I think worship has been fantastically important to me and I think um and that that's sort of how on a daily basis how I've coped running has really helped clearing my head getting away from James getting away from church being out in the fresh air has been a really important thing to me um uh, but also on a, a yearly basis we would try and go somewhere bigger somewhere different to inspire us uh, just to see the bigger picture of what God is doing and for us that has always been the Soul Survivor Festivals and they've been just so important in just um, lifting our faith and recharging us and yeah sending us back into another year of doing um, yeah church planting. Mm-hmm. Great um, and what do you think the rest of the Church of England can learn from plants like Unlimited? I think I would hope we could teach people or they could learn that it's okay to go to people. People aren't coming to church. The attractional model isn't working, not because they're sitting out there going, oh, I don't want to go to church, which probably could be the narrative I'd have in my head. But when you go and talk to them, they're not going to church because they haven't even thought about it because we've gone quiet. It's not on their radar. But in the main, people, as I said, are open to sort of spirituality and faith. And I think if we were bolder in asking people to 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 talk about our faith we would be really surprised by the results and I think maybe I can't remember the statistic but it is you you know you've got five friends that if you ask they would come to church but maybe you know churches need to do things that aren't church what what are the the so what moments so I've got a friend who's vaguely interested in church but can we do a something that's attractive to them that we work up towards the big invite to the Sunday service but we try and draw relationship and show them that we're normal and lovely and that yeah that there are entryways into church that it's not just all about getting them to church on a Sunday you are going to be all being well um one of two vicars in your family um what what do you see yourself doing um in perhaps like five years time um and I, and I asked that I guess purely out of nosiness and curiosity in that like for example lots of our friends at the moment seem to be (laughs) clergy couples and that to me just seems like quite an interesting dynamic Um, but also how that works out in practice like does that limit where you can go how you would work together who would do what yeah how do you see that working yeah um and it's interesting i think every clergy couple is very different so um i you know what i think will be right for james and i will not be right for everyone but i think at the minute i've always said we can't see five years ahead we've never had a life plan we've always just done what we think god's calling us to the minute and then he unsettles us and suddenly the next thing is there so as much as i'd love to know what i think james thinks he wants to do in two years time he just doesn't know and that's that's how he is and how we live so that's got to be fine but I think probably neither of us see ourselves in traditional parishes I think we've possibly been spoiled with the freedom of unlimited maybe but every now and then James gets nostalgic and just you know that the he loves that concept of just working in a community being in a in a geographical place and having a community to care for so so I don't know where he'll go with that I think 
I can't see us ever working in two different parishes. The idea that to me that church is family, that you invest your your heart, your life, your soul into this family, trying to do that in two different churches, to me, just I can't make that work in my head at all. So so I don't know. Um, I'm open. I think we're both open to non-parish options um, with chaplaincy and education and diocese and stuff all in the mix. And we will just have to see. Well, very exciting times ahead. Um, nonetheless, uh, Liz, thank you so much uh, for joining us this morning. Um, but it's been great to have you. Liz is amazing, uh, as as you can probably tell. Um, Liz and I have known each other for for quite a while now, um, and have worked together for quite a while as well. Um, but thanks so much for being on. We'll see you soon. Thanks.